Uh, let's just bow our heads and let's, let's go before the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for just a, a good weekend, a weekend of Thanksgiving, hopefully of time with family, a time of reflection. And hopefully we remembered and it was brought to mind all the things that we could be thankful for, Lord. Even if we had a difficult year, you are faithful, you are good. And we thank you. Father, we pray as we come before you, may your spirit speak to us. May your Holy Spirit teach us. May we hear your voice, Lord God. And we lift this time up to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Was it good? Good. Did you have plenty to eat? That's, that's an important question to ask, right? All right, not really, but it is, you know, that was my important question when it came to Thanksgiving, right? I usually kind of measured uh, thanks, my Thanksgiving by uh, how much I ate, how many plates of food I had, right? Um, how full I was. I don't know about you, that, that's, that's how I measured my Thanksgiving day. You know, it's like, all right, did I have to unbuckle, go a few notches down on my belt, you know? Did I have to, when no one was looking, just like unbutton the top of my button because I was, I was so full? That was kind of my measurement of Thanksgiving when I was, when I was younger. I'm kind of sad that I was sharing earlier today that I was kind of sad that I can't eat as much as I used to. You know, anyone can feel that pain with me? You know, all that good food, and you're like, you want to pile it up, and it's just like, after one plate, I was like, I'm stuffed. That was quite disappointing to me, you know. It's kind of ironic, the title of today's message is uh, In Plenty and in Need. And Thanksgiving week- weekend really kind of epitomizes the dichotomy of being in, need, or in plenty and in need. You know what I mean? That weekend really just shows the contrast of being in plenty and being in need. Because Thanksgiving reminds us of, of really how plentiful our blessings are, right? Hopefully, right? We, we all have full plates. At least I had a full plate. We get our, 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 our meal. You look at that plate and the bountiful blessings we have. Um, hopefully you had time with family. Maybe it was bountiful. Maybe it was too bountiful. I don't know. Right, how much time you had with your family. But we stuff ourselves as much as we can when it comes to Thanksgiving, right? But then yet, within hours of feeling thankful and filling our bellies, what are we doing? Or many people, millions of people are doing. Within hours of being thankful, what are they doing? They're going online, they're going in stores, they're shopping. They're looking for things that they need, right? It's just kind of an interesting a picture of how we are sometimes. We, we go from being in plenty and being in need just like that. I don't know, did you, anyone get a good deal in shopping? Found some good deals? That's, that's good. I didn't go shopping at all. I looked at the Black Friday deals. I just said, nope, I'm not going to do it. I don't know how satisfying that was. But we often measure our contentment and our happiness on what is on our plates, don't we? Whether our plates are full, full of things that we like and enjoy. What is in our shopping carts, right? How thankful we are, how content we are, how happy we are based on what's in our shopping carts, what's on our full plates. 
But does our attitude change when our plates aren't as full? Or if our carts, our shopping carts are empty? How does this affect our relationship with the Lord when our plate isn't full with all the things we enjoy? Or maybe it's lacking from what we want it to. Or when we can't fill our shopping carts to our wishes. Do we only feel good about our relationship with God when we're in plenty? When we're given all that we want, all that we need, we're comfortable. Or do we only serve the Lord when we're in need, right? We're in need, so we're going to give to God, hopefully that he will give back to us. Now we're going to kind of do some little leftovers for a second. We're going to go back to last week. Remember, if you remember last week, we talked about having a healthy mind. That if we want to maintain a healthy body, there's some things we do, right? If we want to maintain a healthy body, we, we, maybe we sleep, make sure we get some sleep. We maybe exercise, we watch what we eat, we diet, whatever it may be. And it's the same thing with our minds. There's some things that we need to practice to have a healthy mind. And one immediate healthy need, or healthy, I'm sorry, healthy habit we should practice doing is that in everything, by prayer and supplication, whatever we desire or request in God, in everything, we give it to God with thanksgiving. That that is our immediate reaction when we have a need or a desire, we're praying to God. We're doing so, but the key is with thanksgiving. We're approaching God with thanksgiving because thanksgiving sets our mind and our hearts right, right? It puts it in the right perspective. We're not going to God just saying, demand, we want, we want, we want, as if we're entitled, but we're going to God saying, God, this is what I need, but Lord, thank you, right? Thank you for what you've given me. Now, parents, doesn't it make a big difference that if your kids come to you asking for something, they come with it with an attitude knowing that they're still thankful whether they get it or not? Does that make a difference? I don't know. I only see a couple heads. They're like, I don't know. I've never experienced that before. What's that like? My kids coming to me with Thanksgiving? Like a, I, got, I got adults here, I got kids here. Like, all right, Pastor Mike, put them on the spotlight. Don't put us on the spotlight. But it makes a difference, right? Can you imagine? I mean, have you thought of this? Is, isn't it just like amazing that God will even want to hear from us? He wants to even still hear the things that we want or desire. I got to admit, if I was God, I'd get tired of myself. Don't you think? Always asking and asking, yet God wants to hear us, but says, go to him with thanksgiving. If we want to be less anxious, less stressed, have the right mindset, we must go to him and practice taking inventory of what goes on in our minds. We looked at last week, in verse 8 of chapter 4, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. In other words, something to practice again. Have a healthy diet of your mind. I don't know if you ate healthy these last couple days, right? But when you're eating healthy, you're, you're being careful of what you put into your body so be healthy. And it's the same thing with our minds. We have to take inventory of the things that we think about, the things that we entertain ourselves with, the things we dwell upon in our minds. 
so that we can keep a healthy mind and a, a healthy heart. So be watchful of the things you think about. So we need to have these things. We need a healthy mindset, healthy thinking. And we need a healthy mindset and thinking so that we can understand today's passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Pick up in verse 10. Verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus." Now, the church community in Philippi supported Paul as their spiritual leader and into his ministry. We saw in the beginning, if you remember when we first started, Paul acknowledged their fellowship in his ministry, their support from the very beginning. And here we see at the end of the letter, Paul again is acknowledging their giving to him and to the ministry. He mentions he rejoices in the Lord greatly. That they were there, they supported him. If you look throughout that passage, Paul refers to their giving as a gift and a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's how he describes their giving to him. In verse 17 and 18, a gift, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice. Their giving is an expression of their concern for him. In verse 10, and concern for his needs. In verse 16 and the sharing together or the fellowship in his affliction. So Paul is acknowledging their giving to him, that they've been giving to him as their expression of giving to his needs, to his concerns. Now to fully appreciate the context of today's passage, we should understand the concept of giving for the Christian church. How are we to understand giving in our context as Christians? Now, when you hear the word giving in terms of church, right, what do you think of? People tend to think of tithes and offerings, right? What we give in the offering plate. Some may be surprised to hear that actually we don't see tithing being explicitly practiced by the church in the New Testament. The word tithing doesn't come up in the practice of the New Testament. And you have to realize life of faith radically changed for the early Christians, Specifically for the Jewish believers, they were no longer bound by the Jewish law, right? Jesus fulfilled the law. 
So sacrificial offerings were no longer needed, right? They didn't have to sacrifice an animal unto God any longer. The temple was no longer the center of the expression of worship. Believers met in homes, right? As they learned and as they worshiped together. Today, we gather predominantly in church buildings, right? However, the church building, this is not the new temple, right? This is not the temple. What's the temple for us as church, as believers? We are. Our bodies are the new temple. As believers in Christ, we are the dwelling place of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So this isn't the temple. This is just merely the place we come together to worship. As believers in Christ, we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So with the temple no longer the center of worship, right, and the presence of God, sacrificial offerings no longer necessary, what about the giving of the early church? Was tithing still practiced? Now, we don't, like I mentioned, we don't have indication, clear indication that this was the standard in the New Testament church. The local church took collections, though. They took collections to support those workers of the gospel and to help support their fellow brethren, their fellow believers, their community of believers. And now some people may pull in Old Testament passages to kind of relate the principle of giving to the church. But we do have to be careful to not apply things that were bound by the, the Jews and the law to the church today. Right? We've got to be careful. There may be some principles we can carry over, but we're not bound by those things of the law. Now, does this mean that we're off the hook? What does this mean? Well, Pastor Mike, we don't have to give 10%. Do we have to give offering? Some people think that because we're no longer under the law or under the pen of the law, that the expectations are lower, right? That we don't have to be held down to a higher standard. But actually, that's the quite opposite. In fact, you could kind of think that the bar is raised for us as believers, We no longer offer sacrifices unto the Lord, but what is our sacrifice now as believers? If you remember Romans 12.1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy sacrifice acceptable to God with your spiritual act of worship. So it's not like we have to bring our animals to church to sacrifice, but what is our sacrifice now in Christ? Our lives. Right? That's a standard that's, raised, that's raising the bar for us, right? So all we are, all we have is an offering unto God, including what He has blessed us with. Not only how we live our life, but what He's blessed us in our life is an offering unto God. We recognize that this is the Lord's. So the standard for giving for, for believers is not limited to 10%, nor is it all or nothing. Some people feel like, well, if I, don't give t- if I, don't ha- I can't give 10% my tithe, then I guess I won't give at all, right? It's not an all-or-nothing proposition. It's neither a floor or a ceiling. Our offering to God isn't like, well, okay, this is the, the, the minimum we have to give, and this is the maximum we give. 
That's not the standard. It was never a cap for Israel. Tithing wasn't a cap for Israel. It's like they only had to give 10%, nor was it a floor for them. What does Paul say in verse 6, or of 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's the standard of giving for the church? It wasn't a percentage, but rather the cheerfulness of your heart, the condition of your heart. You're like, well, then does that mean if I don't feel like giving, I don't need to give, right? If I'm not going to give cheerfully, does that mean I just won't, don't need to give at all? No, that's the wrong question to ask, and that's the wrong attitude to have. You see, the early church, they actually shared all they had with each other. Their mentality was that, you know what, whatever I have is open for the community. If there was bread in me, then I would give to those who are in need. That was the standard. All right. I need to get on here. Okay. Oh, this is God speaking to you. All right. Talking about, whoa, all right. I'm going to be like, uh, you know, the singing up here. Um, so then looking at the standard, right, for the early church, they gave all that they had. That was the standard for them. Your heart. They freely gave. So when you're talking about how much do we give, the standard is the cheerfulness of your heart. And you can think, well, I don't feel like giving. Well, you can stop giving, but don't be surprised if you don't have a lot of pastors pastoring your church. You don't have a lot of commitment by those who are leading in the church to invest in the church. Because what, what is our giving? As in the early church, the community supported the ministers of the gospel, the spiritual leaders of the church community. That was what the early church did. Their giving together was in support of those who are ministering the gospel. Those who are leading in the church. Now the pastor does not go into church ministry for the money. As Paul says in verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. What Paul's saying is the motivation for him was the ministry of the gospel, the fruit of the ministry. He wasn't doing it for the gift, but he was doing to what the, the fruit of the ministry of the gospel. The giving of the church was to support the minister and investing in the ministry. So when you think about it, when we give, we're giving to those who are leading in the church. Am I good? All right. Thank you. And we're giving towards investment of the ministry in the church. 
This concept was communicated by Paul. A couple instances, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. 1 Corinthians 9, 8-11. I am not speaking of these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is not written in the law of Moses, for is it not written... In the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to, hope, ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we, sp- if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? So what's Paul saying here? What should be our principles for giving as the early church, or as the church? When we collect offering, when we're coming together, you are giving to the ministers of the church, the ministry within the church, and the support of the community of believers. That's what we're doing when we give to the church. Supporting those who are ministering to the gospel of the gospel, the ministry of the of those who are in the church and support of the believers in need. Now think about all the things that you invest in. Think about, not even just like financial investment, think about all the things you subscribe to. Have you taken a list? Netflix, Hulu, I don't know, whatever it is. Right? You think of all the things we subscribe to, we entertain ourselves with. We, we put money into those things that entertain us, whatever it is. When we give to God, we give here, we're saying, God, this is for you and the ministry of your gospel. To support those who are ministers in need, those who are, who are in need within the church and even outside the church. And this is not just to paid pastors. When you give to the church, you're, you're saying, look, those who are ministers, we have elders and deacons here in charge of different areas of ministry. When we give, say, look, we want to give to support the ministry that we can do as a church, as believers in Christ. So the standard seems to be the cheerfulness of your heart, having a giving heart, having a supportive heart. It's not about percentages. Does that make sense? Look at Paul's perspective. Look at what Paul says about being on the receiving end and also for those who give. Verse 11, he says, not that I speak from want, For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get, who get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now Paul seems to go out of his way while he's expressing appreciation for their giving to him to let them know that he was not dependent upon their gifts. His ministry was not dependent upon their gift. He appreciated it, but he didn't depend on it. He learned his circumstances did not dictate his service. I'll say that again. His circumstances did not dictate how he served, his commitment to the Lord, his ministry. Now, in this passage, we read all together verses from 10 to 
19, there's two particular passages that are very commonly misapplied. You, you've, I'm sure you've heard these two passages before. Maybe you've, you've cited it. Maybe, hope, I don't know, maybe this is your favorite verses, right? Two verses that are commonly misapplied by Christians. The first one, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you have heard that verse before? Okay. How many of you have used that verse before? All right, let's see if you used it right. No, I'm just kidding. All right, verse 13 and verse 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many have heard that before? Not as many? Or now you're afraid. You're like, well, I won't raise my hand because I don't know if I misapplied this verse or not. So I'm just pretending I'm not raising my hand. Well, let's understand these two, the context of these two verses so that we can understand how to apply these two very well-known verses. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Paul learned the secret to being self-sufficient in whatever circumstances. Whether, whether it was humble or lowly circumstances, or he had plenty, there was prosperity. Whether he was hungry or whether he was filled, having an abundance or in suffering need, he learned the secret. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens strengthens me. Paul is not saying he can do all things because Jesus is going to empower me to do all things. Paul is not declaring he has learned that in poverty or in plenty or hungry, he can do whatever he wants. Paul is saying, no matter what conditions I'm in, I've learned that God is going to empower me to carry out, to do. I'm not going to be dependent upon my circumstances. I'm not going to be dependent upon whether people give to me or not. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was afflicted by a thorn in the flesh he described in 2 Corinthians and he said, and he had said to me, Jesus, oh, the, the thorn of flesh, we don't know exactly what it was. But Paul prayed to the Lord that he would remove this thorn of the flesh. The Lord's response to him was, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, for Paul's relationship with the Lord was so close, he was so dependent upon the Lord, that he learned in weakness he found strength. He experienced the power of Christ even in his weakness, even in distress. He was not deterred by his circumstances, whether he had a lot or he had very little, whether things were going well or things were going difficult. He learned, Christ will strengthen me. Christ will enable me to do, carry out what I need to do. So if we're to apply verse 13 properly, we are affirming Paul's experience. If we say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, what we're saying in context is that no matter what the conditions are in our life, we know that Christ will strengthen me. Whether I am in need or whether I have a lot, 
Christ will strengthen me. I won't be dependent upon other things. I won't, to be de- I won't be dependent upon how full my plate is or if I have crumbs on my plate. My shopping cart is full or it's empty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can't read this verse and say God will enable, to do, enable me to do anything. That's not what the verse says. This not only takes a verse out of context, but it really dangerously assumes God will empower you to do whatever you want. That's not what the verse is intending to say. The Lord will strengthen me in times of need and in times of abundance, in prosperity or in in poverty. The second verse, verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying this in response to what? Their generous giving, right? In context of this verse, he's replying to the giving of the church to him and his ministry. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, if we quote verse 17, we need to keep it in context, understand it in context, and apply the right principles in context. Just as they sought to provide for Paul's needs, he's assuring God will supply their needs according to his abundance in glory in Christ Jesus. See, they gave. They were willing to give in abundance and say, Paul, we want to support you and your needs. And even though Paul, in his position, said, look, I'm not going to be dependent upon your, your giving to me. Right? But I acknowledge that you've been faithfully giving. You've been supporting. You've been there for a minute, for, from the beginning. So I know God will supply your needs according to his riches, according to his abundance. And notice, look, God will not leave you in need as you're giving to him. Now notice what it says. According to, he'll give to your needs. Not your wants, but your needs. See, this verse should not be applied to mean that out of God's abundance, he will give me whatever I want. That's not what it's saying. This verse is not used to be some means of gaining prosperity. I don't want you to think, and I'll never preach this from the pulpit, that if you give, that God is going to bless you monetarily. I've, I've heard that happen. I've heard that preached. Maybe you've heard that preached before. Giving offering is not a means to, to gain more money back. That takes away the heart of giving. Right? It's not some scheme of like, man, I need, to, I need to grow my bank account. Maybe if I give that 10% faithfully, God's going to give me 20% back. A lot of people think that. That's not the heart of giving. What Paul's saying here is, look, as you give, God will take care of your needs according to his abundance. God will meet your needs according to his riches. See, so we have to have the right mindset when we're approaching these verses in this passage 
of giving, of understanding what it means to be in plenty and what it means to be in need. I'll I'll wrap it up with this. Two perspectives to learn from this passage. The perspective of Paul, the recipient of the giving, and the perspective of the church as the givers. And from the two perspectives, the key to learning both perspectives I see is faith. How much faith in God is a part of our life? Our faith in the Lord allows us to rely on the power and provision of God in all circumstances. Right? Our faith in the Lord allows us to rely on the power and provision of God in all circumstances. He will be my provision. Whether it is in plenty, when things are going well, my plate is full, I have all that I want or need, or when I am in need. My plate is not so full. Finances are not so good. Giving in the church is down. In all things, God will supply our needs that we can carry out the ministry, the work of ministry. I don't need to be so reliant on it. I'll be truthful. This is, this is a difficult message to speak from my perspective. It sounds like, you know, from the pastor who, who's ministering. Look, I, I think I had to come to this conclusion in between positions before I even started here. I said, God, you know, if I don't even... I don't need to get paid by a church to do your gospel, to do your work if that's what you want me to do. That's fine. That's fine. If I have another job and I can serve you, great. That's fine. Whether we're in need or in plenty, we don't want that to deter us from doing the work of the ministry to being faithful to the Lord. But it reckons us, how much do we live by faith? Or is our faith so dependent upon our circumstances? Is our relationship with God so dependent upon what we're provided for? God, I will give, I will serve, I do whatever, as long as I have ample supply with me, I'll give it to you. Or are we willing to say, you know what, God, whether I'm in need or not, I'm going to give to you. I'm not just talking about monetary. I'm not talking about offering. I'm talking about what we give to God. So our faith in the Lord allowing us to, uh, allows us to rely on the power and provision of God in all circumstances. Second perspective, our faith in the Lord allows us to invest in the work of the ministry as an offering unto the Lord. Do we give in faith knowing he provides for the ministry and he will provide for our own needs? Right? As givers, can we give in faith, knowing, Lord, this is yours, and Lord, we want you to do the work. We want to support the work of the ministry. We want to support the work of the gospel. When I talked about members, you know, a little bit ago in the announcements, for those of you, this is your church, your church family. As we give to the church, we're not just like, it's not just like, you know, that this is our spiritual duty, this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're literally giving to the work of the ministry. We're saying, look, we want God, we want you to work within Generations Church. 
This is our investment in your work in this body of Christ, this local body of Christ, a little part of the body of Christ. How much do we live in faith? It's easy to be thankful when we have plenty and not in need. But the depth of our relationship with the Lord is really tested in our need, isn't it? When we're in need, how much do we live by faith? Or do we just wait for for us to get all that we want in order to live by faith? The Lord provides in surprising ways. He does. He supported me in many ways, in surprising ways, and people that have given to us as a family in our time of need, God has really come through and used a lot of different people in that way. But there were times when that provision didn't come, and we were in need. And we had to come to the place to say, God, we will be faithful to you whether we are provided for or whether we're not. And we need to come to a place in our relationship with the Lord and say, God, whether it's in our plenty or in our need, we will be faithful to you and not dependent on the circumstances. Right? We will give to you in faith, knowing you will supply our needs according to your riches and glory. May we find ourselves giving to the Lord faithfully regardless of circumstances, whether in need or in plenty. We'll find contentment. The Lord will strengthen us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you supply our needs. You are our strength, whether we are in plenty or whether we're in need, whether we have an abundance or we have a shortage. Lord, we want to be at the place in our relationship with God, that we'll, relationship with you, that we'll say, Lord, no matter the circumstances, we will be faithful to you. We won't let those circumstances deter us from the message of the gospel. Nor we will let our circumstances deter us from giving to you. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. You want to hear us, you see us, and you care for us, Lord. We give you praise, glory in Jesus' name. Amen.